0: Study. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In this semester we started to explore the, the second half of the letter of the book of Ephesians. You guys know that. And you probably remember that, that this half of the letter is mostly concerned with how we think and how we live as believers. You guys remember that? Back half, concerned with how we think, how we live as believers. Paul is concerned that we learn to live like God intends, how he wants us to live. I'll say it another way, like he says in, in chapter 4, verse 1, he wants us to live lives that are worthy of the calling to which we've been called, or or what God's done for us and in us. And these instructions for how we live flow directly out of the first half of the letter. The first three chapters are all about what exactly God has done for us in Christ. Paul wants us to to understand the depth and the profundity and the security uh, that we have in Christ, and then he knows that that's going to bleed over into how we live our lives. So when you and I first heard the gospel and we believed, however that happened in your life with a parent or friend or happened to church, whenever that happened, Paul taught us in the first half of this letter that it was because God made us alive. Okay, that's Ephesians 2. You were dead in sin. We were living however we wanted to, what seemed best to us, what seemed right to us, and then at God's precise moment, he came in, made us alive as we heard and believed the gospel. And now as a result of that, new life, however that happened for you, whenever that happened, you have you have new life. You've been recreated in Christ. From that moment on, you have been outfitted to pursue good works for his glory. That's what Ephesians 2 taught us. So just flip over there, just by way of review. It's been a little while since we've we've been in Ephesians. So Ephesians 2:10 We'll jump back in verse 8, actually. It's common verses, but just good to read. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. That's creation language, a new creation. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Them. So your salvation, whenever you you heard the gospel, convicted of your sin, and believed in Jesus, that was as a result of the new birth, this new creative work that God has has done in you. That's incredibly encouraging. And that's not all he says in the first half of this letter. Not only are we spiritually alive now, but we're also part of God's own family. So we have a new family. We were not that before. Remember, we were Gentiles. We weren't even part of Israel. Okay, so... We weren't part of God's own family in any sense, but now we've we've been brought in to His very family. We're dearly and fiercely loved by the Father now. Again, not a result of works, right? It's totally by His grace. Another way of saying it is that we're God's new humanity. Remember, we've talked about that uh, in weeks past. And He calls it, in chapter 2, 15, the one new man. Look down there. Chapter 2, 15, he's talking about what Christ has done for us and how he's he's brought us together. We'll look in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, that's Jew and Gentile together, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, why did he do it? That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So we're one new man, or one new humanity. That's the idea. In Christ. Made up of recreated Jews and Gentiles. And God's goal for us is that as His family, as His humanity, we reflect Him. That's the goal. That we reflect Him. That we manifest what He's like to the world around us. And that's exactly what the back half of this letter of Ephesians is all about. It's about living life as new creatures in Christ, or like our series title here puts it, uh, the, living the new creation life. And if you want a, a really simple way to summarize what Paul says in these chapters, we can say it like this. Paul is telling us to become, in reality, who we are kind of confusing, become who we already are, who God has created us to be. So, Paul wants us to become in practice what God has already created us to be in Christ. That's why he spent so many clauses and paragraphs laying that out for us in the first three chapters. We've already been given a new nature that's alive now to God when before we were dead, And it's in place of that old nature that characterized us. Now, we're new people. Now, we need to progressively learn to live our lives in line with those new realities. So, Paul says, we must become what we already are. And that's the title of our message this morning, Becoming What We Are so again, we're working through this, this theme of the new creation life in the back half of Ephesians. And today we're going to look at this idea of becoming who we, who we already are in Christ. Well, this week I did a little research on how a caterpillar actually becomes a butterfly in light of our cool little graphic here. <laughs> I know this is like third grade stuff. It's always good to brush up on. Uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Okay, how this actually happens. Basically, if you don't know, okay, if you're sleeping in third grade, the caterpillar spins a cocoon around itself, then it digests itself into caterpillar soup, essentially. Now, that's not the technical term for it, but it's kind of gross. If you were to poke a cocoon and during this process, it would ooze out. Yeah, kind of gross. Anyway, what's cool about this is that it reforms itself, it's still alive this whole time, and it reforms itself into the shape of a butterfly. Now, I may have missed some things here, so you can correct me later on that, if exactly what's happening and all that, but I thought, anyway, it's pretty wild. Well, yesterday, as I was reading, I learned bits, a couple of new info to me, okay? When a caterpillar comes into the world, okay, we're not talking about a butterfly, just the caterpillar, when it comes into the world, it already has everything it needs in order to become a butterfly later in its life. I did not know that. Even before a caterpillar ever hatches, so as a caterpillar, not as a a butterfly, while a caterpillar, while it's inside the egg, it grows what's called an imaginal disc. Imaginal disc, I think I'm saying that right. For each of its butterfly parts. Okay, That means after the caterpillar hatches, it already contains within itself what it will become later. Isn't that wild? All of its parts. And what's really crazy, didn't know this, second bit of new info, is that in some species of caterpillar, the parts actually begin to form on the caterpillar before it goes into the cocoon. Before it starts the transformational process. You, you can't see it. I mean, yeah, they can if you kind of like zoom in with microscopes and things because it, they're, they're tucked away kind of inside the caterpillar's skin, or I, I don't know exactly how it happens, but they've seen like little wings and things that have begun to form even before this process starts. And uh, so, <laughs> where am I going with this? All right. In a really weird way, this species of caterpillar kind of mirrors what happens to us as believers, that's so probably a bad analogy because it's kind of gross, but when we're born again, all right, it's like being hatched as a caterpillar. Even though we're not yet glorified, that's going to come later. Think final butterfly stage. You're coming out of the cocoon, you know, in, in this new state. It's coming later. But even though we're not yet glorified, we already have all that we're going to become implanted within us in Christ. Kind of the idea. We're fundamentally new creatures. We just looked at that. Paul said that. That's a result not of works, but of what Christ has done in us. So it's not like self actualization. This is Christ actualization in us, right? We're fundamentally new creatures, even if we don't see it yet. Then we start to grow much like that second species of caterpillar, even before the final metamorphosis, right? we got little wings, so to speak. We won't ever arrive at what we will become in our fullness. That's awaiting our death and resurrection. But we can make progress now, and we should make progress now, in the Christian life to reflect more and more the image of God now as new creatures in Christ. We're becoming, in reality, what we already are internally, and soon we will experience the fullness of this transformation. It's kind of a different way to think about sanctification—not different, but I think more biblical way to think about our growth in Christ is it's we're we're growing out of the new nature that we've already been given. Well, our text this morning is all about this principle. It's some of Paul's most fundamental instructions about becoming who we are in Christ. Okay, so these are like basic, and we're going to come back to these in the following weeks as as we work it out specifically. They're some of Paul's most fundamental instructions about becoming who we are in Christ, it's the, it's the growth process, if you will. So we'll say it like this. If we're going to become who we are in Christ, if we're going to, if we're going to grow into that in practice, we must follow these four basic instructions. Okay? You just want the shorthand, is four instructions. If we're going to really live this life, and we're going to become all that God intends for us to be now... Before glorification, we've, it's got to come along this path. We've got to follow these four instructions. And they're very, very basic. Okay? So this is, this is going to be a review for, for a lot of you. All right, number one, definitely don't live like you used to. Okay, And I, I know it's a long, long title, but you're going to see why I say it that way. Because Paul brings a hammer down. You can't live like an unbeliever anymore. Can't go back there, all right? Definitely do not live like you used to live, like an unbeliever. All right, basic. But let's look in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's not the way you learn Christ. All right. so what's Paul saying in this, this paragraph? He's saying definitely don't live like you used to live. These are... Really, really dramatic opening lines here. Easy to gloss over. Notice there's two verbs. He says, "I say and testify in the Lord." It's rare for Paul to open uh, an a instructional a series of instructions with with that. That kind of it kind of builds emphasis. It's a way that an author would build emphasis here, repeating himself with two verbs. This he could have just said, "All right." Don't walk like the Gentiles do. Don't walk like them. But he said, this I say, and, a better translation would be, this I say and insist in the Lord that you no longer walk. So you see he's building this, this dramatic opening, and I'm just going to highlight that right now, because it underscores the seriousness of what Paul's saying. This is of, of some of the utmost importance in Paul's mind in this letter, in terms of how we live. What we're going to see it's foundational, for everything that that follows. So it's very dramatic. We're going to come back to that at the very end. Okay? So what's he being dramatic about? Well, he's saying that we shouldn't live anymore like the gentiles live or, or what he says like no longer like like they live. So that no longer implies that we we once lived that way, right? Don't live this way anymore, right? So we we used to live in in this way. Now what's really interesting is that he He's telling Gentiles not to live like Gentiles. I mean, it's Ephesians or Gentiles, right? I'm a Gentile. Most of you are Gentiles. So he's telling these people, okay, don't live like them anymore. So what's he mean by this term Gentile? Well, we learned earlier that we're part of this sort of third race, if you will, this one new man that's made up of Jew and Gentile together in Christ, the renewed humanity so what he's saying here is don't, even though you are an ethnic Gentile, don't live like the nations who don't know the Lord. Right? That's the point. So we're saying unbeliever, but it's good to kind of get that, that feel. These are the nations that are idolaters, that are work that are that are living in their own systems of worship. You know the one true God. So you should live differently than the Gentiles do. You should no longer gravitate back toward that old lifestyle. That you were delivered from. So that raises the question well how do unbelievers live? What, what's the kind of things that that unbelievers do or these these Gentile nations? Well he gives a, a really unflattering picture of our former depravity here in, in verses 18 and 19 and there's several several descriptions here actually it starts back at the end of, of verse 17 we shouldn't live like the gentiles do anymore in the futility of their minds that's the first description so futile futile thinking okay vain thinking and this this word group for futility is often surrounded or is often connected to the idea of idolatry meaning it's it's false it's weightless it's not based in reality so people who don't know god the one true god through christ are not living in accordance with reality and no matter how smart they are, educated they are, or I mean, and there are people that are unbelievers that are far more educated than me, their thinking is futile. Meaning they they don't know true and ultimate realities about this world, about God, about life, about eternity, about kingdom. Those things they just they just don't know. So the thinking is futile. It's short-sighted. It won't last. It's not eternal. It's it's vanity, if you will. So that's how they're thinking. The thinking is characterized. So notice, whenever you, we think about you know, our lifestyle, we think about the, the deeds that we do, right? The, the ways that we live. Paul starts here in the mind and shows how the thinking of an unbeliever is, is futile and that we should not go back there. He says that they're darkened in their understanding. Verse 18. So you got got not only a futile thinking, but darkened understanding. He says that they have... Ignorance that is in them, meaning there's inward ignorance about ultimate realities. I mean if it, he just he lays it you know one description upon the other here they have they're ignorant why due to their hardness of heart, so there's an inward hardening of their hearts, meaning the heart of a person is their, their, their control center. It's, it's what they think, it's how they feel, it's what they value, and that heart is hardened. Okay, as a human being. I mean, there's a, there's a wall there and nothing, truth isn't penetrating that until God grants them a new heart. That's where we were. And notice, I think Paul's point here is he's showing that there is an, there is an inward corruption in an unbeliever. And used to be an inward corruption in you. okay? That God overcame. There's this inward corruption, and that leads to, notice this, that leads to verse 19, they having become callous, meaning their hearts having become hardened, calloused, that leads to having given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So an inward corruption, the way we could say it is an inward corruption always leads to an external corruption, leads to immorality, leads to covetousness, just greedy to practice impurity. So wherever you were at before you were a believer, whether that was kind of out in the open and flaunting that, or you just had sort of inward greed, covetousness, and that was running rampant in your heart, that was still true of you. Your inner, inward hardened heart was still producing these, this desire to give yourselves up to, to sensuality. It doesn't take very long, even in the counseling room, to see how sensuality has run rampant even in professing Christians, uh, through pornography and, and other sexual sins, even if it's veiled on the outside. And that's the reality of, of the, the reason we, that we have such a, an appetite for these things is because of our hardened hearts. Or we once had an appetite for these things was because we were so hardened in our sin. But for us, this is who we once were. This is not who we are, okay? Christ says overcome that doesn't mean you don't still struggle with these things. That's why he's saying don't go back there, right? But he's saying you've been given a new heart. You've been been recreated. So Paul's reminding us of this here for a couple reasons probably, but for the main reason I think is because he's trying to show you just the trash of the life that we think that we want to go back to sometimes, right? Like this is not the good life. Even though when we sin, we believe it is the good life, and that's why we want to go back there. So Paul's trying to just get you, to jog your memory, remind you, of you did these things because you had a hard heart, because you were impure, because your mind was defiled, and you had thinking that was futile. So don't go back there. Definitely can't live like you used to live. We can't go back. That's clear. It's a non-option. And in fact, as a true believer doesn't want to go back there, right? I mean, we, we resonate with that. We don't want to go back and, and put the change back on us of, of the sin that we were delivered from. It's incompatible with who we now are in Christ. But there is a painful reality that still persists, right? Even if we don't want to go back, sometimes we do. Oftentimes we do. So what does the path forward look like? Where do we go from here? Well, that's where Paul's remaining instructions come in. He, try, he hits us hard with, look, you made a break, so don't go back there. It's not worth it. So what should we do? He says next, we should trash the old humanity. You should throw it away. Throw away the old humanity. Trash it. Throw it in the trash. Okay, look in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off, there's our word, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So what's he saying? Paul's telling us to put off the old man. My original outline, I had trashed the old man. I was like, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) So I changed it, obviously. He's telling us to put off the old man, literally discard the old man. We've got to learn to habitually discard, catch this, okay, habitually discard old ways of thinking that lead to old habits, old sinful lifestyles, right? We've got to learn how to do that, how to identify it, discard it, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But if you notice, there's a number of things that happen before he gets to this, this verb in verse 22, he, a number of things that Paul says. First, Paul reminds this church that they didn't learn Christ this way. You see that? He says, this is not the way you learned Christ. What way? What's he talking about? Well, he means that they, when they first were taught about Christ, when they first heard the gospel, they were taught by the apostles and by the teachers that this meant a break with the old corrupt life. This is what it entailed. To follow Christ is to turn away from that old, that old life that you used to live. And that Christ gives us the power to do that. The gospel is good news, and it's power to change. Okay, It's the hope, of, the hope that we have is the hope of transformation, is to be different than what we were, what we were enslaved to. And this transformation begins even now. And Paul's saying, that's how you learned Christ. When we first came to you, when, when, that, when teachers followed us and they followed up with our teaching, this is what they taught you. So you've got you to leave the old life. So this is a, an implication for those of you who maybe are around all kinds of teaching at Liberty and other places. If there's a gospel that's devoid of the power of change, or that's not part of the gospel, that, hey, life should change for you. There should, be, there should be some differences in your life. Not that works save you, but works are always the result of a true work of God in your life. If that's not there, that's not the gospel that Paul preached. Okay? And he just said that. He says it's not the way you learn Christ. You didn't learn Christ where you could have the gospel and have your sin too. Um, that's not the way it works. Okay? Paul knew that they had learned Christ differently because this is what the apostles taught. Notice that. He says, assuming, or that's basically, it sounds like he's introducing doubt, verse 21, but he's not. He says, it's more like, since that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. So he's assuming that they had that been taught this. Um, and they had. But what does this mean to actually put off your old self? That's an interesting way to frame that up. How do you do that? do you put off your old nature? Well, Paul's using a metaphor here. It's wardrobe metaphor. And he's basically saying you gotta, you got to take off the, the old dirty clothes. And it's pretty straightforward. You know, you remove them. If you can't wash them, what do you do? You throw them away, right? And that's, that's the idea. We definitely can't wash this old nature. You have to trash it. You have to throw it away. And that's the idea here. You're trashing something that's useless, it's unprofitable, it's unsalvageable, it's got to go. It's corrupting. Paul says that we discard the old self. What is the old self? What is he talking about here? It's, It's literally the old man, just the word for man, Paul goes on to give us a little more clarity on this term in in these uh, these verses here. He says, this old man, which belongs to your former manner of life. So he helps us flesh that out a bit more. This is how we used to think, how we used to live, what we used to value. And it could go on and on. And this was just described for us in in the earlier verses in 17 and and 19 that we just looked at. The old man had belonged to our... Our former manner of life. And, he says, is corrupt through deceitful desires. Okay? So, this old nature, that's what I'm saying, is not salvageable. It's corrupt, and it's particularly it's corrupt through deceitful desires. Now, that's very insightful. Okay? Because your old man, the old nature, which you're fundamentally a new creature, but you still struggle with the vestiges of this old nature, it's full of desires... Meaning, the way to put that is you're full of desires in your flesh that are deceitful, right? They deceive you or can deceive you, which makes the truth paramount. How do you grow out of deception? By the truth. So we should be fundamentally skeptical of ourselves. Does that make sense? You do not trust your heart. You will lie to you, and you will gladly believe you, and run down the wrong path. Our only hope is what he says earlier: that the truth is in Jesus. Into verse 21, in verse 21. The truth is in Jesus. We must have Jesus. We must have the apostles' doctrine. We must have the New Testament. We must have the scriptures because the truth is here. And it's our only safeguard against the the deceptive nature of your heart, of your deceitful desires of this old nature that you're trying to you're trying to get off you like a like a dryer sheet, you know, and it just kind of keeps sticking to you. And this is key that we need that we see the old nature this way. All right? That it's it belongs to our former manner of life that it's corrupt and it's old. Meaning it's it's useless, it's unprofitable because you believe when you sin that it's profitable for you you think it's worth something you think it's valuable so you do it that's the deceitful desire that's operating within you that you've just kind of bought hook line and sinker right that's the that's what's happening when we sin and paul's trying to show us that there's the, it's it's worth nothing it's useless this nature this this nature is an old nature it's corrupt in adam from Adam all the way down. It's the old, the way I put it here, the old humanity. Now let's try to bring this together. Even though we've become new creatures in Christ, Paul indicates here that we will still be tempted and plagued by the thoughts and behaviors of the old humanity. Do You see that? That's why we have to progressively trash them. And it doesn't happen all at once, right? You grow, as you grow, you, you throw off more stuff. But we have to identify the remnants of this old humanity. You've got to be able to see what it is. We have to see them as evil. We have to repent of them and discard them. And this includes not only the sinful behaviors, but also the sinful ways of thinking that led to those behaviors. And this is what Paul means when he tells us to put off the old humanity. Now, we're going we're gonna to just check our time here got to move forward here it's going to illustrate but we're going to get multiple illustrations in the next few weeks cuz paul he's going to keep hammering that home for us all right as we as we practically flesh this out so just ask yourself this on this point is there is there something of the old you the once dead you the unbelieving you Is there something about the old man that you're still holding on to? That you're coddling up with? That you're thinking won't hurt you that badly? It's not that big a deal. It's not that serious. Paul says that's not the way you learned Christ. It's got to go, and it must go for your good. Too much is at stake for you to not let it go. That's what it means to be a Christian. Again, it's progressive. We work at this through the rest of our lives, right, to, to, to let it go. But if there's that thing that's staring you in the face, that you know, I've got it, I need to turn from this thing. If you need help, come talk to us. We'll help, we'll try to help you, try to come alongside you, just like the pastors and teachers are supposed to do, Ephesians 4. But you've got to put it off. That's not the only thing he says here. He says that we must renew our minds with the truth. We must renew our minds with the truth. Look in verse 23. Again, I'll post this, so I don't feel like you've got to write down all these, these notes. He says, to put off the old man and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So what does it mean to be renewed? Are you ready for this? To cause something to be new. Again, renewed. As an unbeliever, Paul just said our minds were filled with vain, empty thinking. Okay, verse 17. That means our thoughts were not based on the truth. They were based on our own perceptions, our own sinful inclinations, not on revelation. To have a renewed mind means that truth has renovated it. It has brought it back to life. And what Paul is calling for here is a consistent and progressive renewal of the mind. That's what we need. It means we come to know God as He truly is. We're enabled to, to rest in Him it means that we, we know who we are in Christ and we live out of that reality on a consistent basis. It means we come to know more and more what God desires from us from His Word. What's good, what's bad, what's profitable, what's not, what's eternal, what's temporary. These are the effects of a renewed mind. A mind that's been renovated by the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the, and it happens in the seat of your mind. Another way of saying it is in the throne of your heart. Your heart's not hard anymore. And in fact, Christ reigns there now. So how does this renewal happen? What's what's going on? You You can say it like this. Anytime we hear the truth and believe it in faith. Anytime we hear the truth and believe it in faith, renewal is happening by the Holy Spirit. You cannot believe truth unless the Holy Spirit does that for you yet we're called to, hey, believe the truth, right? So you just reach out there. You just try to believe it, and you can be, have, be, have confidence that the Holy Spirit is working in you to help you renew your mind. So this happens all the time. It's the way God's designed things to work. Public preaching in the local church. The equip, that's, I'm Me and Pastor Brian and others that you hear are equipping you for the work of ministry, and, and part of that process is the renewal of your mind. Other people who speak encouragingly and truthfully to us Remember back in the, the last time we met, we, the church is to speak the truth to one another in love. That's the first thing he's going to hammer on us next week, is that we need to be truthful with each other. Why? Well, Because we've got lies pinging around in here. And we've got to uproot those lies with the truth. That could be a friend, a discipler, or a pastor who brings you counsel from God's word in your particular situation. Other, other ways, small group discussion, truth is reverberated and applied, songs that we sing, full of truth, that we sing to one another and encourage each other. And of course, okay, the obvious one, personal Bible reading, prayerful meditation. But, but what's so crazy is these people didn't have a Bible. Isn't that wild? Truth reverberated in their corporate gatherings and in their relationships and in the body, and that's how it was supposed to work. From the apostles on down. We have the added benefit of having revelation in our hands all the time, on our iPads and iPhones. And The bottom line is, anytime that the truth of God's Word comes to you and you hear it with faith, the Holy Spirit's working in a renewal in you. The truth is being laid as the foundation of your life, and you're depending on it more and more. The Word of God begins to govern your thinking instead of how you feel or what you experience or what you think. That doesn't matter anymore. All that matters is what is true objectively. And the truth is in Jesus. We just saw that. Finally, we've got to move. Last point. The last thing Paul says here doesn't stop with just mind renewal, but he says also to put on, verse 24, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the way I say it is just get dressed with the new humanity. All right, get dressed with the new humanity. Just trying to say it a little different, shake it up a little bit, okay? Put on, get dressed with, that's the idea, the new humanity. As our minds are renewed, we are enabled and motivated to put on what he says is the new self. Paul's still keeping this clothing imagery going in this last point. He's calling us to dress ourselves, so to speak, with the activities of the new humanity. How new humans should behave. What, and it's, it's very simple. Just look at Jesus. Okay? He is the image of the new humanity. This, this new man has been created after the likeness of God. It's incredible. It's another way of referring to this new humanity or new creation brought about by Jesus. It's the character of the renewed image bearer perfectly exemplified in the Lord Jesus. And this new man resembles the moral character of God himself. That's what it means to be created after the likeness of God. And you are a new creature, right? Think butterfly with those things already given to you. And now it's time to actualize that. You're a newly minted person. And it's that, that, that this new man is characterized by righteousness and holiness that springs up, grows out of the truth now. And this newness is not passing away. It's eternal. This means, okay, we'll, we'll land a plane in the next minute or two, okay? This means that we now have the privilege to cultivate things, to pursue things that actually have lasting and eternal value. Later in these chapters, Paul's going to call us to cultivate things like truthfulness with others, restraint when we're angry, a hard work ethic, generosity with our resources, edifying speech, kindness, tender-heartedness, graciousness when we're wronged, Christ-like love, sexual purity, and wisdom. And that's just a quick snapshot of some of the newness that Christ wants us to put on. We went from pursuing things of no value, vain things, right, vanity of our thinking, to now things that have infinite value, i.e. righteousness. That's incredible. Like these things are going to transcend this life. You realize that you're building something that's going to last eternally, as you grow in Christ's likeness. And lest we, you know, kind of be confused, this getting dressed, you know, it sound, This is where the analogy breaks down. It sounds easy, right? Just change your clothes. You know, that's <laughs> not that hard. But it's often quite difficult. That's because our sinful. Old self, that, that sinful nature runs deep. Sinful thinking runs deep. Sinful habits are hard to overcome. But as Christ renews your mind through his spirit, and that's the anchor, as he helps others come alongside you and model what this mature life looks like, you can grow and you will grow. That's the promise of being a new creature in Christ. It might be slow, it might be painful, but there will be progress. Progress. Like the caterpillar, we already have all that we need in Christ to grow into, into what he desires us to be. And this is the path forward. If it seems fuzzy to you, um, we're going to look closely at this, at this process applied in specific sin patterns and, and, and cultivation of certain virtues in the next few weeks. You, and you can read ahead, you'll see. Chapters, the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5 are all about this process. And remember back to the opening here of of this urgency in verse 17. I say and testify in the Lord. This is urgent for Paul. It's one of his top priorities for the church. That we would learn to walk in these things. This this putting off, renewal, and putting on process. That this would become sort of the daily habituation of our lives. He couldn't think of anything more important or more foundational for sanctification for the Christian life than these, these issues right here. But... Be encouraged because the Spirit is working in you. You are this new creature. You didn't generate that of yourself. God did that in you, if you're a believer today. And God is committed to see this process through. So, be encouraged by that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such clear direction from the Apostle Paul as you inspired him. And Lord, as we, as we just work with each other in these areas, help us to be... Um, just have more insight, more clarity of what this, of what this process looks like in, in the day-to-day, in the specific areas of our lives. Um, give us clarity, as even in the weeks to come, as we look at, at some specific examples of putting on things, having our minds renewed, and, and putting on other things. And we just look to you for our ultimate fruit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.